Pastor Shane's going to be preaching this morning from Ephesians 2. Um, I'll invite Jenny to come on up for the scripture reading. And as she comes up, go ahead and open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We are in our fifth week of our series, Gifted. This is the word of the Lord from Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Thank you. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Sound City. Really good to see you guys. Really good to be with you. Uh, My name is Shane. I'm one of the pastors here as well. Uh, For any of you who I haven't had the chance to meet just yet or for any of you who are new, um, as has been mentioned, we are in part five of our Gifted One Body Many Parts series, which has, for the most part, as most of you know who have been around for the last few weeks, has been about spiritual gifts, a series about our spiritual gifts. In part one of our series, Pastor Aaron focused on God, the Holy Spirit, who is the good and divine giver of all spiritual gifts that uh, we as Christians have a measure of, to use the language of Ephesians 4. In part two of our series, we explored how the Bible speaks of the church as a body with many parts, very much like our own bodies in many ways. We talked about how our bodies can fail when all of our various parts and all of their functions aren't working together as intended. And we talked about the real, really the beautiful kind of uh, symphony of interdependence that exists between a body's parts when their diversity is working in unity and how this is true in both our physical bodies and in the body of Christ, the church as well. And then in part three of our series, we looked at the so-called ordinary spiritual gifts, and we realized that they're not terribly ordinary, right? We learned, in fact, that each one of them points us to Jesus and to the gospel. And then last week in part four of our series, we learned about the extraordinary spiritual gifts. We exposed some of the false stereotypes about these gifts. We talked about their misuse, and we also then talked about uh, what the Bible says about their proper use as well. And then that brings us to today, to part five of our series, and a message that we're simply calling Using Your Spiritual Gifts. And while we've talked about using our gifts along the way, of course, as well, um, it hasn't been something that we turned our attention to specifically. So that's where we're going to go today. But before we dig into any of that, let me pray for us, and then we'll get going from there. Lord God, thank you for these friends and for the opportunity to gather uh, another Sunday in your name. We love you, Lord. We ask for your help this morning. We ask for your protection, uh, for your teaching, for discernment to better understand your truth, and that we would grow in unity and in health as your body this morning as we dig further into the topic of spiritual gifts. I pray as well, Lord, that you'd help me to serve you faithfully today as I teach, and we pray all of this through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. Now, many of you know uh, a little bit about me. We've done some life together, uh, many of us. You know parts of my story. And if that's you, then you probably know that I didn't grow up in the church. You probably know that I, uh, it wasn't until my mid-20s, 
before I trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. And since I hadn't grown up in the church, I didn't know an awful lot about spiritual gifts, and I certainly didn't know, uh, even as a young Christian, that I was supposed to use them to serve others. What I did know as a young and um, brash Christian, still trying to learn my way out of some of the bad habits that I'd established in 20-some years of life without the Lord in it, is that I had a thousand great ideas about how the church could be better. I had lots of thoughts about what they, those people, what they were doing wrong. I had lots of strong opinions about how they should be doing more, especially more to serve me. And then over the next year or so, two things happened. Number one, I learned a lot more as I continued to read and study the Bible. I learned more about what the Bible has to say about spiritual gifts, and that was convicting. And then number two, I heard a particularly impactful sermon on the topic. And together, just more study of the Word, and then this one particular sermon that I'm going to talk about here in a minute, these two things really changed my perspective pretty radically uh, about spiritual gifts and about using them to serve the body of Christ. The title of that sermon that had been so impactful to me, it took the form of a question I think the sermon title was Guest or Host? Guest or Host? And in that sermon, the pastor was talking about spiritual gifts and about serving, and he was asking us questions like, when you walk in this building each Sunday morning, are you walking in with the perspective of a host or the perspective of a guest? When you walk in these doors each week, are you thinking about the part you'll be playing to make sure others are served well? Or are you thinking about how well or not you're going to be served this morning? When you have an idea about something that could be better in the church, do your thoughts and sentences start with, they should do such and such? Or do they start with, I should ask them if they need help with X, Y, or Z? Or we need to grow in whatever the area might be. When the coffee's empty, when your child's classroom and kids' ministry couldn't open because there weren't enough volunteers, are you moved by the Spirit to consider how you can help solve that problem, or do judgment and criticism stir in your heart over how poorly you're being served? These are the questions that he was asking, and by the time the sermon was over, what God had begun to show me was that I had a guest perspective, through and through. I was out of step with God's plan for me as Jesus' disciple. I was an irregular and atrophied and nearly non-functioning part of Christ's body from a gifts and serving perspective. I was a consumer of what God's people were willing to offer me, but I had not been terribly interested to that point in ministering to others through the spiritual gifts that God had given to me. Yet right there in the scriptures, once I took the time to see it, was the fact that God's gifts of spiritual enablement are given to us primarily for service to God's people, for their encouragement, for building up, for help, for discipling the whole body of Christ. We see it throughout the scriptures. We see it in passages like 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, where Peter instructs his readers and hearers and us saying, As each has received a gift, a spiritual gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So what about you, Sound City? What about us, guest or host? As I read to you those questions that had been read to me, what stirs in your hearts? Now, before you answer, to be fair, each one of us rightly should expect that we're going to be served when we gather together each week. Being served by others is not the problem. But just consider this for a minute. 
and the comparison is not perfect, but compare this. How much time you spend each Sunday morning being served with how much time you spend each Sunday morning serving others? Now hear me, Sound City, on this. You guys are awesome. Many of you serve your guts out each and every week, and you do it on Sundays, and you do it throughout the week as well. But even if you don't, I love you, we love you. This is not judgment, but let me risk to say that if you're not new to faith, and if you're not new to the church, and guest is the only or even the primary perspective that you have each week when you walk through the doors of Linwood High, then I'm pretty sure God wants to change your heart today. And I'm pretty sure he wants to do some work in changing your perspective this morning, just like he did in me when I was asked the guest or host question all those years ago. Okay, I know we're coming out of the gate, a little bit heavy this morning, but we're doing that because what we're going to see together as we dig further into the topic of what it means for us to use our spiritual gifts is that using our spiritual gifts isn't all that optional in the Christian life, according to God's word. And then in a very real way, we all have a decision to make when it comes to the use of our spiritual gifts, guest or host. In fact, what we're going to be unfolding in the scriptures this morning is that using our God-given spiritual gifts is really an essential part of what God saves any of us for in the first place. Or said another way, using, not simply knowing, your spiritual gifts is central to fulfilling the purpose for which God has made you. And that's our central proposition. That's our big idea for the message today. Using, not simply knowing your spiritual gifts, is central to fulfilling the purpose for which God made you. All right. Let's see if we can make a biblical case for that now as we turn our attention to the primary passage we have for today, which is Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10. We're going to start out with a quick survey of verses 4 through 9, and then we're going to slow down a little bit more when we get to verse 10, uh, when we get to the meat of it. Okay, so picking up in Ephesians 2, verse 4 then. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So right away here, we're learning about the character of our God, aren't we? We're seeing how he's rich in mercy and that the motive of all God's works, more of which are about to be described, is his amazing love for us, the great love with which he loved us, it says. Then in the middle of verse 5, we see the product of his loving and merciful work, namely that while we were totally and completely dead in our trespasses and sin and separated from God, he brought us back to life again through Jesus. And that this loving act of making us alive together with Christ is from beginning to end an act of God's unmerited favor, a divine act of his saving grace to us. And not only are we saved by grace, but God has also, picking up in verse 6 now, raised us up with him, him being Jesus, and seated us with him, Jesus, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul here teaching us about the union between Jesus and we who will come after him. The Gospel of Mark, uh, Hebrews, and elsewhere in the scriptures declare how Jesus was raised from the grave, how he defeated death, and how he afterwards sat down at the right hand of God, which, as you guys know, is a position of authority and power. And then here in Ephesians 2, 6, we're told that all those who are in Christ already have reserved seats right next to his in the heavenly places. Is that good news to anyone this morning? 
And why again has God done all this? Picking up in verse 7 where it says, He's done this so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So God has saved us in Christ, has given us rebirth and reserved seating in eternity right next to King Jesus so that his saving work in us would be a witness to the riches of his grace and kindness and then that all put on permanent display for all eternity. Amazing. Verse 8 continues, for by grace you have been saved. So we see again here the repeated phrase from verse 5, for by grace you have been saved. And repeated words are repeated in the Bible for a reason. If I was sitting back in seminary, if I was sitting in one of my Greek classes, they'd be calling this an emphatic clause. They'd be saying it's repeated so it's important and it's meant to get our attention. And the emphasis here is on God being the active agent in our salvation. Yes, we have personal responsibility. Yes, we make real choices in life. But at the same time, this is a passive statement, and that's not by accident. It's passive in the Greek as well. The Word of God says you have been saved. You have been saved. So in a very real way, your salvation has been accomplished for you and not by you. Paul's tried to explain this to us already at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2 where he calls us dead in our sins, And I don't know about you, uh, but in my admittedly limited experience with dead men, they don't typically speak. They don't typically make choices. They don't typically make professions of faith. And what the Apostle Paul is emphatically wanting us to hear is that our salvation is sourced only in God's grace to us, despite our deadness in sin. And that's good news. But this time, here in verse 8, he takes the idea even further than he does in verse 5. Verse 8 ending with the words, through faith. Now, faith here means exactly what we assume it does. Faith is our living trust in Christ and in his redemptive work on our behalf. But as we will see as verse 8 continues, even our faith is really best understood as something that is given to us. Something that's given to us that God has kindled and stirred into a flame in our hearts in order to accomplish his good purposes in us. For by grace you have been saved through faith Then picking up in verse 8, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. In verse 8 and verse 9, Paul makes sure that we all understand that if God's work of salvation is wholly his from start to finish, up to and including our own response of faith, then there's no room for us to boast. There's no room for us to have pride in anything to do with him. And with this good news in mind, God's people, us included, are rightly stirred to humility and to thanksgiving and to love for God and to obedience to him. Then in verse 10, Paul goes on to explain why it makes perfect sense that God's saving work in us is fully his doing. Saying in verse 10, for we are his workmanship So reason number one, it makes sense that God has done all the work in saving us, according to the Apostle Paul, is that we are God's workmanship. Now the idea here is that we who are saved by God are the product of God's artistic and creative hand. We're his handiwork. Then next, Paul tells us how this creative work has come to be. Continuing in verse 10 now. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So here we come to understand that it is through Jesus' work on the cross that God's handiwork in creating us has been accomplished. In other words, the word created here is not talking about our initial birth, our initial physical creation, although 
that was his work as well. See also Psalm 139, verse 13. But what he's talking about here in Ephesians is our recreation in Christ. And Paul speaks about this a lot. In another of his letters, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, he says it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. Friends, we can be recreated and made new in Christ because Jesus willingly, willingly went to the cross to die in our place and to pay the sin debt that we each owed. And if you believe that, and if your desire is to respond to give your life to Jesus, then God has already done that recreating work in you. But whether you've known Jesus in a saving way for as long as you can remember, or this is a completely new journey for you starting today, and that you're just beginning to believe this for the first time this morning, regardless of which two categories you fall into, what the Apostle Paul tells us next in verse 10 is of the utmost importance. Because he's about to explain to us here one of the key purposes for which God saves any of us. Continuing in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, recreated, new creations in Christ Jesus. For what purpose, Sound City? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's a claim of purpose, isn't it? It's a claim of purpose. It's a statement about why God redesigns and recreates any of us at all. God, it appears, has saved those he saved with a very clear purpose in mind, and that purpose is good works. And we don't just see this here. We see it elsewhere in Scripture as well in places like Titus chapter 2, where the Apostle Paul speaks of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Who are zealous for good works. What does this phrase good works mean? That's the next logical question, right? Let's see what else we can figure out about this. First, what I think we can say for sure is that these good works are not meant to be understood as having any saving effect, right? We've just heard it's by grace you have been saved through faith and even that our faith is the gift of God so that no one may boast about their salvation. Paul's taken great lengths to make sure that we get it, that God is the one who's done all the heavy lifting in granting us salvation. The second thing we can learn about what these good works are is from what immediately follows the words good works. And that's that he's created us for good works that were prepared beforehand, the text says. But then that begs the question, of course, what does beforehand mean? Well, we're not going to dig too far into that, but in Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4, which uses very similar language, a very similar context, um, except here it's describing God's work of the election of his people, saying that he chose them beforehand, or more specifically, before the foundation of the world. That's what Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4 say. So once we understand that this is what Paul means when he says back in verse 10 that these good works were prepared beforehand, we see that apparently this whole thing was kind of a package deal. That somewhere in eternity past, he not only chose us before the foundation of the world, but that he also chose and prepared in advance good works, especially for each one of us in eternity past as well. Is that amazing to anyone else this morning? R.C.H. Linsky, a Lutheran scholar and commentator, uh, said it this way, All the ways of holiness and righteousness are God's design and preparation. 
We need not puzzle about and search for what may please God. He has long ago mapped out the entire course. That's a comfort to me. I hope it is to you. The final comment offered in verse 10 then about these good works answers the now what question. We are saved by grace through faith unto good works, the end of verse 10 now, that we should walk in them. And if we again were to go back to the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, we can begin to get a clearer picture of what it means for us to walk in good works, as it says in verse 10. We're going to look at this passage in uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, where it says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So walking here in verse 2, seems to imply some kind of a general pattern of living, doesn't it? And in this case, in the early verses of chapter 2, it seems to be describing a pattern of living that is sinful and godless. And now if we go back to verse 10, what we see uh, is that we're also talking about a general pattern of life when the word walk is used. Paul's actually contrasting these two patterns of living. But in verse 10, Paul is prescribing to us a very different pattern, a Christ-centered walking Verse 10 again saying, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what Paul is saying here is that there should be a new and different pattern of living at work in the lives of those who have been recreated and saved by grace through faith and unto good works. Sound City, I wonder... Are you beginning to see how understanding these good works that are described in verse 10 is naturally connected to the importance of us knowing and using our spiritual gifts to serve God and his people? Are we seeing the connection yet? It's kind of subtle. Let's make it a little clearer. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, the Apostle Paul says this, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So spiritual gifts are in view here, and the reason we're said to receive them is for the common good of God's people. In other words, the gifts are given in order that they would be used to complete good works in service to God and his people. In Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, Paul teaches us that spiritual gifts are also given in order that the following good works might be accomplished. I've just summarized them here for you on the screen. The equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, the building up of the body of Christ, helping the church grow in unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, helping the church mature to fullness in the stature of Christ, and helping the church to grow in doctrinal steadfastness. So here in these verses, spiritual gifts are being given to God's people so that these good works would be accomplished in service to God and his people. We looked earlier already at this passage in 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11, where Peter says, As each has received a gift... The gift has a certain function now. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So here, good works are in service to one another, and these are meant to be the fruit of using our spiritual gifts. And according to verse 11, all of this is said to be for the even greater purpose of bringing glory to God. A couple more. In 1 Peter 2.12, Peter addresses good works in a similar way. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
So here, good works done in service to God are not just an encouragement and a service to others within the church, but they also have evangelistic impact as well. They stir conviction and repentance amongst those who would see God's people performing the good works that they were saved to pursue. Do you see the connection there? Then similarly, in Matthew 5.16, Jesus himself encourages his first disciples and us by extension saying, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus also making the connection between the good works that he's given to each of his children to walk in and the great praise that our good works bring to his name throughout the nations. Are we seeing the connections now? Spiritual gifts, good works, the glory of God, the use of our spiritual gifts, the living out of the good works created for each of us to walk in, and the glory of God that comes about as the result of both. In passage after passage after passage, we see the overlap and the relationship between these three things. It's abundantly clear. There's a German professor in the 1800s who said this, Christ, in whom we live and move and have our being, makes us partakers of his gifts and virtues. And thus he is formed in our life and walk. His holiness, purity, humility, gentleness, goodness, tenderness, and kindness shine forth in our walk as Christians. In Christ, sound city, we are partakers of spiritual gifts given to us that they would shine forth as good works prepared in eternity past for us to walk in them and live them out for the glory of God and the good of his people. So how you doing, Sound City? Guest or host? Anyone feeling their perspective on any of this begin to change a little bit? Maybe? That's good. Now, we started out this morning with this big idea that using, not simply knowing your spiritual gifts is central to fulfilling the purpose for which God made you. And now that I hope we've done a pretty good job of building the biblical case to support that, I want to shift gears a little bit and give the rest of our time to talking a bit more about how we go about applying this. And let's start by talking about some of the common tools and strategies that we have for knowing and using our spiritual gifts. And the first tool uh, for knowing our gifts that we'll talk about is one that we've introduced you to already in weeks past, and that's the spiritual gift assessment. Now, over the years, I've seen dozens of these and probably taken nearly just as many. There are good ones, there are bad ones, uh, but they all seem to consist of asking us to answer sets of questions about things like uh, what we do and what we don't do, what we like, what we don't like, and what's true of us and what's not so true of us. Then our answers are tallied up somehow or scored, depending if it's online or manual, and then the results are supposed to give us some kind of an indication of what our spiritual gifts might be. By the way, how many of you have taken our spiritual gifts test so far? Hands? Yeah, lots of hands. I think Michael told me um, the other day that we were up to around 116 at that point, and I have to say it's been fun to hear your guys' feedback from that as you take it. It's been fun to see you thinking about, asking questions about the results that you see, and uh, asking questions about how God has wired you and how you might apply these things. Now, if you haven't taken the test yet, um, you can still do that, but I'd encourage you to do it sooner than later before Michael raises the price. So, um, I'm just kidding. Or am I? You'll have to go out and see. Uh, SCBC.do slash spiritual gifts. SCBC.do slash spiritual gifts. So go out and take that. 
but if I had to summarize just a few best practices for using assessments like these, I'd say these three things. Uh, one, remember that your results will only ever as be as good as the tests are. Um, even the best, uh, most God-honoring test maker is sinfully flawed, and so uh, there are no tests out there that are going to be perfect. Um, so take your results with a grain of salt. Uh, also, your results will only ever be as good as you are honest in taking your test. Okay, so um, especially if you've taken a few of these before, if you're familiar with personality assessments, things like that, you can begin to understand how the special sauce is made a little bit. You know how to shift things a certain way if you answer a certain way. And so that can happen inadvertently, or in uh, worst case, it can also happen on purpose. So um, from someone who wants the gift of prophecy, maybe, maybe, I don't know, Steve, you want the gift of prophecy, you're going to steer things a certain way? No? No, okay. Yeah. (laughs) So don't do that. You'll only be fooling yourself, um, and we can get into trouble with that kind of stuff. Uh, Best practice number three for using spiritual gifts assessments uh, would just be this, just to use them as a good starting point. Uh, That's the best way to use our spiritual gifts assessments. But before we skip past this, I want to talk about a few other assessments that I think are helpful as well in understanding our gifts and wiring, the way God has wired us up. Uh, There's some personality tests out there. Many of them you might be familiar with, uh, but just in case some of you aren't, I'll walk through a couple. So the Myers-Briggs, that one's been out been available for a long time. It's called the MBTI in some cases. Pretty good personality test. Uh, I had to look it up. I didn't remember what I was. I, I think last time I took it, I'm an ISTJ. I don't remember what that is except for introvert. Um, so, the, but that one I remember being pretty helpful. I've got a couple of those results stored in my Evernote file somewhere. Um, another one is the DISC assessment. Uh, it's another, just another personality assessment. Those initials stand for different things. Uh, I'm a DC on the disc with a little bit of S, uh, not much I at all, for those of you who know uh, how those things are scored. Um, the Strength Finder is another one that I, I've seen used in lots of churches. It's been really helpful. This is introduced by Gallup, and a guy named Tom Rath, I think, is involved in it as well. If you search on either of those, you'll find it. There's like 30 or 40 different strengths, and it kind of ranks all those for you. I think last time I took it, my top five, that's kind of what they focus on uh, when you get results from StrengthsFinder. Mine were achiever, connectedness, input, intellection, and learner. Um, sometimes the meanings of the, of the terms don't necessarily align with what you think they would, but it's a, it's a really good assessment, um, and it's one you can take online as well. Also, triperspectival gifting theories. So if you guys have been with us for a long, long time, you've heard uh, preaching and teaching in the past on this whole idea of the triperspectival offices of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. And the theory goes that um, as his children, uh, in, empowered with his spirit, indwelled by his spirit, we also have varying levels of prophetessness or kingliness or... Um, you get the idea. Uh, I think when I took those tests, I was a pretty even balance of all three, uh, or when it went through those theories. Uh, but what I realized that was helpful to me is that I do all of those things, even though I was a pretty balance of prophet, priest, and king, uh, I realized I do all of those things with kind of a kingly um, foundation. And so even when uh, I'm teaching, I do that in kind of a, a kingly way, which is kind of organized in structure and strategically and these kinds of things. Um, so I do everything that I do that way. I do that in counseling. I do that in everything. So that was really helpful for me in just kind of seeing how all that fit together and how God's made me. 
I've actually found all these helpful in different ways, but I think if I had to pick one of the personality side assessments, I'd say the DISC profile has been the most um, right on when I've taken those kinds of tests. It's been the most helpful to me. There's even a tool that we've used way back in the beginning of Sound City in 2015. uh, We used a tool, a paper-based gifts assessment tool that um, pairs up your gifts assessment with a DISC profile as well and then mixes them together and says, so if you're a high D and you have the gift of teaching, then these are some risks for you. These are some things that we would affirm are probably true of you. And so we've still got a few of those around the office if you'd want one of those. But that was really helpful to me. The DISC, I think, is really helpful. So there's lots and lots of tools that we can choose from on this, but maybe a good next step, a good way to just dip your toe in the pool a little bit if you're not familiar with a lot of these tests would just be to Google a few of these. Uh, I'll put these in the notes. These will be online for us as well on the website tomorrow. Um, So just come back, look up the names if you forget or if you're not jotting notes down, Google a few of these. Often you can find free versions of these assessments online and then just complete a couple of them Then grab a good cup of coffee Um, and sit down with a highlighter and start to mark it up to the glory of God. Uh, Highlight all the parts that you think resonate with you as being true, and then um, my, my, my strongest encouragement that I can give you on this would be then take all those things that you've highlighted and marked up and take them with you as you go and find some other Christians to help you take advantage of the next strategy that I want to talk about, which is the affirmation of others. So it would be great if there were some perfect test out there that we could take that would give us 100% accurate results about how God has gifted and wired us to serve him. But we've already mentioned none such test exists, and so the closest thing I can offer up to a foolproof strategy for better understanding your own wiring and uh, the spiritual gifts that God's given you is simply this, asking the Christians in your life that are closest to you to help you and giving them permission to be brutally honest with you as they do. And so the questions that you want to ask them, those other Christians that know you well, are things like, what do you think I'm good at? What do you think my strengths are? What spiritual gifts do you think I might have? Ask one of us pastors, ask other leaders, your community group leader, your fellow community group uh, members, people you serve with. Um, yeah, I mean, ask whoever is close to you that is a a solid believer in Jesus that you think can help you discern uh, these kinds of things. And if you've taken a few of the spiritual gifts and personality assessments, uh, even better because then you can take those results with you and you can kind of show them what the results of the tests are and then let them, give them a chance to, to mark it up. Give them a different color pen and let them mark things up a little bit as well. And again, asking them for real honesty, giving them permission for that will be the key for that. I can say, uh, as far as strategies go, in my life, the affirmation of others has been probably the, the largest impact of any of these strategies that we're going to talk about for helping me understand how God's made me and where he's leading me. As a young believer, uh, I was involved in a, a Bible study that also happened to have a few seminary students in it. And um, over time, several of them had come up to me at different times and asked me questions like, hey, have you ever thought about going to seminary? And then a month later would go by, another guy would say, hey, have you ever you ever thought about getting into ministry full-time? And uh, the first several times that questions like that were asked, the answers were always no and no. Uh, I really, this is God-honest truth, I really didn't even know what seminary was the first time somebody said, have you ever thought about seminary? I promise you that's, that's a true story. Um, plus, I was at that time, I was several years into a, a pretty solid IT career. I felt like I was doing pretty well there, so why would I ever want to get into full-time ministry? That sounded awful to me at the time, quite honestly. Uh, But over the next year or so, God would use these same guys who saw something in me that I definitely did not see in myself to help me understand that seminary and becoming a pastor were exactly what God was calling me towards in life. 
so that I could begin to cultivate the spiritual gifts that he's given me and so that I could begin to accomplish the good works that he's prepared for me in advance that, and that he's saved me to pursue. The affirmation of other trusted Christians is one of the most important tools you have for discerning the spiritual gifts God's given you and the good works he's recreated you to do. So don't skip this just because taking the assessment is easier. Okay? Uh, ask for honesty. You can do it. I believe in you. All right. The next strategy for uh, knowing what your gifts are uh, is also a good strategy for knowing, helping you know where to use them as well. And simply put, it's just for you to spend some dedicated time trying to better understand your own dreams and passions. Now, you'd think this one would be obvious, that that'd be something we'd do pretty naturally, but with the pace of life that most of us live, our lives go more unexamined than we might think. For example, let me ask you, uh, when is the last time you... Uh, were intentional. You put it on your calendar I'm gonna, that you were going to go find a quiet place and just think and journal about your hopes and dreams and passions. That happened to anyone in recent months, years? One percent, maybe? Okay, I see one hand. You're lying. No, <laughs> no, no, you're probably not. Okay. Uh, yeah, but very few of us, right? Um, but I, I'd venture to say this is maybe exactly uh, a next step that God might want you to do for discovering your gifts and discovering the good works that he's prepared for you to do. We need to be talking to others about this. We need to be asking ourselves questions like, what am I passionate about? We need to be asking questions like, if, if I could do anything in service to God and know that I wouldn't fail, what would it be? Now, as a side note, me asking that question years and years ago um, in a time of prayer with God, is what actually ended up helping lead me to Seattle. But that's a story for another day. Another angle on this strategy to ask yourself is, uh, what are my holy discontents? What are my holy discontents? And this involves sitting with God in prayer and asking him to help you finish sentences like this, like, the thing that breaks my heart about the capital C church today is fill in the blank. Or the way I would serve if my church would let me is or the thing that gets me so frustrated about Christianity in my city, state, country, whatever, is, and so on. Better understanding your passions and areas of holy discontent in your life can be a powerful strategy for discerning your spiritual gifts and helping you see where God might want you to deploy them through good works. But this strategy has risks as well. And it's best used in conjunction with our prior one, which is the affirmation of others. So think about some of the passion and holy discontent questions that we just walked through. Then take some of your answers and talk through them with a church leader or pastor. And then ask them to either affirm or deny, because deny is a possibility as well. Ask them to affirm or deny what you're sensing from God about how he might want to use you and your spiritual gifts in the church. Then do a really good job listening. Be teachable. And trust that trying to discern God's plans for you alone is almost never better than doing so in community with other faithful Christian brothers and sisters. So know your passions. Know your dreams. Learn to recognize the holy discontents in your life. And prayerfully, with the help of others, use what you're learning to help you better live out the use of your spiritual gifts through the good works of service that God has prepared for you. Fair enough? Okay. Now, this next strategy is one of the most immediately applicable ones I have for you, as you don't even really have to be sure what your spiritual gifts are yet in order to put it into practice, although it helps. And it's for you to consider the areas of need that God has already put right in front of you. Now, let me explain this one by telling you about one of the ways I've experienced this firsthand as well. We'll go back to the early days of Sound City again. 
So we're December of 2014, before we were ever born as a church. And those of us who would eventually become the founding elders of the church and those on the provisional board, we were having lots of conversations together, we were meeting a lot, we were praying together a lot about what God wanted us to do and who he wanted to play, what part as he was getting his new church up and off the ground. And one of the important priorities that was being talked about a lot in that time was kids' ministry and what to do about it. Uh, The ministry had not been going well in the wake of all that had been going on, and it really needed a ton of attention. And what was surprising to me as I and myself and the team continued to talk was that God seemed to be making it really clear that this was something that he wanted me to do. wanted me to be involved in rebuilding uh, our kids' ministry. And so God and I began to argue about that. Kids' ministry was uh, never something that had shown up on any of my spiritual gifts tests that I had ever taken. In my pastoral experience to that point, people had not been standing in line to affirm that I was so gifted and uh, wired up to be a children's pastor, nor had children's ministry been on my list of areas of natural passion or holy discontent. I didn't wake up most morning with some great burden for better kids' ministry in the churches of the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I never sat down and said to myself, if I could do anything in the world for God and know I wouldn't fail, it would be to rebuild a kid's ministry. Uh, yeah, that, that's not what was happening in my life at that time. So this circumstance was defying all the strategies I knew, all the ones that we've just been talking about for discerning the ways God wanted me to use my gifts to serve him through good works. But that's when God showed me clearly, what I'm hoping you'll see as well, that quite often God puts the good works he wants us to do right in front of our faces, and it has nothing to do with passion and everything to do with meeting the needs of God's people. Look at this. In Galatians 5.13, Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. The word there means brothers and sisters. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, but only if you're really passionate about the area of service where they need help. (laughs) Right? Is that what it says? No, of course that's not what it says. Now the biggie. Jesus in John 13 verses 14 and 15 says to his disciples, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Unless you don't like feet, then just let someone else do it. (laughs) Right? Jesus doesn't say this, does he? No, he doesn't say this because the instruction that he's giving to them is about doing the good works that are set right in front of you. It's about meeting the needs of those who are right in front of you, and especially those of the household of God, so says Galatians 6.10. So back to my story. Here was this need sitting right in front of my face, and I knew that I knew that I knew that God was telling me to meet it, to accept this good work that he had prepared for me in rebuilding our kids' ministry. And God taught me two things that made it relatively easy for me to move forward with that. Number one, God taught me that I don't always have to be passionate about the good works he's prepared for me to do. I just need to be passionate about the one who gave me the work. I don't always have to be passionate about the good works he's prepared for me to do. I just need to be passionate about the one who gave me the work, the God who saved me by his grace through faith unto good works that he prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. 
Number two, the second thing God taught me that helped me say yes to serving in this area of need was God helping me to see that he wants me to use the spiritual gifts he's given me to serve wherever I go and in whatever good works I'm doing, not just the ones I'm passionate about. What God helped me see was that I needed to lead in kids' ministry, which was not an area of passion for me. I needed to lead in kids' ministry through my gifting and not someone else's. I don't believe myself to be gifted and wired the way that I thought a children's pastor had to be wired. I'm not the skip-building, Nickelodeon, sing-songy caricature that I've always pictured those who are leading kids' ministry to be. But what I did know as the board and the elders began to talk together about all this, what I did know through assessments, through affirmation of others over the years, I knew that I could lead. I knew that I could build teams and systems and processes. I knew that I had discernment, and I knew that I could teach and disciple and shepherd others. And wouldn't you know it, that's just the set of gifts and wiring God wanted me to use in leading the charge to rebuild our kids' ministry. But not only that, it also turns out to be the same set of gifts he's designed me to use in every other circumstance in life as well. So whether that is in the church or whether I'm dealing with a difficult family situation, whether in parenting or in interacting with other kids' parents at my kids' schools, whether I'm talking with my neighbors and inviting them to the Mariners game or whether I'm at the grocery store or whether I'm in my workplace, if I don't work in the church like us, uh, what I had to learn and what I hope is helpful to you today is this biblical understanding that we can and we are meant to use our spiritual gifts and wiring to accomplish good works wherever we go and also that we don't always have to be passionate about meeting the needs God has set before us. We just need to be faithful and passionate about the one who has put them there in the first place. So, guest or host, Sound City? Guest or host? Is God changing your heart and your perspective on this question yet this morning? If so, I'm so glad. And if not, I wonder why you would say that is. Sound City, if you're a Christian, even if that's only true starting today, if you're a Christian, then somewhere in eternity past, before time began, God chose you. Then in this life, by his grace, through faith that he gave you, not because of works, in his timing, he saved you from the penalty of your sins, which is death and permanent separation from him. And in his recreating of you, as a new creation in Christ, he wired you up in certain ways and gave you a specific, special blend of spiritual gifts. And then he prepared for you a specific set of good works to match up perfectly with the gifts and personality that he's given you. And then he brought you here today to teach you or to remind you, or maybe both, that you are his handiwork and that you were in no small way made a new creation for the purpose of using the spiritual gifts that he's given you to accomplish the good works he's prepared for you and to do so for the glory of God and for the joy that always comes from being an instrument in your heavenly Father's hands. Sound City, using, not simply knowing, your spiritual gifts is central to fulfilling the purpose for which God made you. Do we believe that this morning? Do we believe that this morning? Yeah. Let's close uh, with another quote from Uncle Lenski here who said uh, about this passage in Ephesians that uh, we've been focusing on this morning. Uh, he said this. 
as the sun was created to shine, the rose to give forth its delightful fragrance, the bird to fly. So we are created anew to do good works and thus to glorify him who created us as what we are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for helping us today to better understand why you've saved us and for letting us be part of the good works you're doing through the gifts that you've given us. God, we pray that you'd be glorified as we work to grow in living out what you've taught us today from your word. And we pray for your spirit's leading, Lord, and for joy in using our spiritual gifts everywhere we go, in meeting needs and serving one another and in accomplishing every good work you set before us. Thank you for Jesus, Father God, and for recreating us anew in him. And we pray all of this through your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, as we reflect on uh, the message we've just heard, let's turn to a time of worship and response now. And we'll begin uh, with our response through giving. So if our financial stewards would go ahead and come, we'll start our response through giving. Now, if you're a guest today, a couple important things for you to know. Um, number one, that we view this as worship, just like any other part of the service. We see giving as worship. And also, if you're a guest, good for you to know that you're under absolutely no obligation to give. But for the rest of us who will be giving, uh, pray that you would remember, encourage you to remember uh, that God's desire is that we would always give us worship, that we would always give joyfully. And we often look to this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 that tells us that each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So as you give, I'd ask that you please do that with that biblical principle in mind. If you have questions about how to give, there's information up on the screen for you. Uh, There's also instructions in your weekly, or you can talk to myself or one of the other pastors or any of the folks that have a lanyard on that say, I can help. Uh, Talk to the folks out at the Connect desk. They'd love to get you connected. There's lots of different ways that you can give. Now, uh, after the giving baskets are passed, you're going to also begin to see the communion element baskets being passed around as well. And uh, while those are being passed, while the two sets of baskets are being passed, what I want to do is something a little bit different today. We're going to walk through a few specific serving opportunities since we're talking about using your gifts and serving. Um, The discussion questions and prayer points are still there in your weekly, so you'll have those there. They'll also be online later. Uh, But I thought it would be good use of our time just to spend it uh, a few minutes here while we're passing the baskets talking about some of the needs uh, and opportunities that are right in front of us. Okay, so uh, I think they've got them up on the screen. We've got, uh, and we asked some of the, le- the, the team leaders and the various ministries uh, what they needed and, and what was the most pressing thing. Uh, the welcome team and scripture reading team, at least five volunteers. You guys see people do this every week. Uh, every one of you are capable of it. I'm confident of that, even despite what your nerves tell you. Um, do hard things. Do the needs right in front of you, people. Okay, uh, so uh, welcome team, scripture reading team. We'd love to see you guys be a part of that. Uh, the kids ministry team, you saw lots of examples of that woven through here because it's a, particularly, um, a particular pressing need for us. Um, if you are served by the kids ministry, I pray that you would see that as God telling you to also serve in the kids ministry. And even if you're not, um, that is a need that is right in front of you. Different churches often have different um, particular needs, and I believe God brought us here to help fill the particular needs that are right in front of us. We do a lot more foster care and adoption type discussions. We do a lot of ministering in that area more than many churches do because that's 
what God decided to do here. And so our kids' team is growing like crazy. They could really use your help. They could use you to use your gifts there, regardless of what your gifts are. Same thing with production team. An additional five volunteers would be really, really helpful there. Even security. Um, that help keep the kids' wings safe. That help... Uh, keeping awareness around here. We had break-ins out in the parking lot earlier. We've got folks out there that are making sure that that doesn't happen again to the best of our ability. Uh, additional security would also be really, really helpful for us. There are other opportunities that sometimes take a little bit longer to get connected to, or there's an application process as well. Don't let that slow you down from if God's prompting you. Don't let that stop you from stepping up. Those would be things like a community group leader, um, community group hosting, um, Things like that. There's also uh, financial stewards. You see the people that are collecting the offering. Uh, we want those folks to be members. We want those folks to go through a little bit of an interview. We want to talk to them. They're handling um, God's money, and so uh, we want to talk to them. There's a little bit of a process there. Also things like uh, a parking team, a hospitality team, uh, students, uh, lots and lots of opportunities for you. And you can always go to scbc.do slash give if you want to um, find out more about any of these um, or just talk to one of us. That's going to be the best way for you to get more information about these. I would encourage you, pray about this this week. See where God is prompting you. Think about all the different ways that we talked about for understanding your gifts and understanding what serving opportunities God's calling you to use them in, and then step up, get involved. We'd love to have you be a part of the team. You will find joy in it, I promise you. Even when it's hard, you will find joy in it, and God will grow you. Now, we're also going to respond this morning through the Lord's Supper, uh, which the Bible speaks of as a memorial meal for all Christians. The bread reminding us of Jesus' body broken for us, the juice reminding us of uh, Jesus' blood shed for us, and the scriptures give us instruction for rightly taking these elements. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 28, where the Apostle Paul reminds us of the words of Jesus uh, as he says them to his disciples. Paul saying this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay, you all have the elements at this point. So, Let's do this. We're going to um, respond in song here in just a minute. Um, and at that point, I'd encourage you to take the communion elements as you see fit. But now let me pray for us first, and then we'll begin responding in all those ways. Father God, we thank you for this time together this morning again. And we thank you that from the motive of your great love for us, you saved us by grace, through faith, and unto good works. We pray that you'd continue to teach us now about your goodness and grace, Lord, as we respond together now. And we pray all this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.